How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're seeing the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 79. 79, 79. I was at 69. I managed to save it by going 79. Yeah, look, we had our celebration at 69. We uh, we retired our celebration after that. Yes, exactly. How are you, Jake? Ah, uh, my arms are hurting. Yeah, you went to the gym. You can <laughs> see well, it. You can see it. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the fact that my brother has a gym in the house. Like, he's spent many years... Uh, I want to call him enthusiast. It's probably uh, it's probably underselling it to be honest. But he does have a gym around the house, and he yeah. sort of. Well, the thing is, I used to use the bench press. Oh my god, I literally muted this laptop a second ago. And well, that's embarrassing. It decided to turn turn around. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so every now and then I would borrow some visa gear if I feel like a a slog or a, a slug, which I do sometimes. Yeah, and um. He has all this new crap on the bench press. I'm like, Jamie, I just said his name. That's fine. Jamie, what's all this crap on the bench press? I, you've added all these <laughs> new bars and... There's new contraptions. The, yeah, it's like a whole bunch of new mechanisms. And I'm like, what is that? going on? So I I, <laughs> I just spontaneously like went on after he explained some of it to me. <clears throat> and uh, I started doing the, the, like the weights. Mm-hmm. And uh, now my arms are really, really sore. I kind of don't want to work out again for another two years. No, but the whole thing is that you mm. you have to keep it going, buddy. You, you have, have to, to push through the pain, as they say. Yeah, I've just... recently returned back to uh, AFL umpiring, so my legs are like jelly right now. Go. So, how, do you run a lot? You yeah, you job? clock like six, seven k's in a game. Oh, bloody hell! Yeah, you don't realize it though, and then the game's over, yeah, and then you, you realize I can't it. feel my legs. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I do. You think arms or legs are worse to like arms? Be, yeah, no, I agree easily. Cause you, yeah, your legs, it's like you can... If you could sit down, you're fine for the day. Yeah. I can't even, like, scratch my back. I can't <laughs> even, like, put my headphones on. It hurts. It hurts, man. I can't even eat junk food because it hurts to raise my arms to my mouth. <laughs> that sounds like you're working out correctly. Uh, but, now, you know, this is a film podcast. I was about to say, our workout routines aside, <laughs> um, did you work out in terms of the movies you watched this week? <laughs> Close. I try to, <laughs> to segue. Um, so I made a point this week, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job. I've caught a few things to only watch <clears throat> very recent stuff because we we did our decades challenge recently, and we've watched you know I've watched a lot of classics and stuff. I was like this week, I just want to watch mostly twenty twenty productions or stuff that's in cinemas now, whatever the case may be. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I finished Thirteen Reasons Why from last week. If you want to hear me bag about it, because it, my opinion didn't change in those last three hours. Yes. Like, I still really dislike that show. So, uh, you can go to last week's episode because I'm not going to talk about it anymore here. Thank God. It ended <laughs> in a very... It just ended the way it ended. It sucked. Not a good show. Sorry, guys. No, it's, well... It's I bad mean, storytelling. Was anyone really surprised that it was a bad season? No. Aren't they all 30 now? <laughs> they do, yeah, they do look 30. Someone made a good point. One of the main characters is literally drunk the entire season. It's like, they're meant to be in high school, but all right. And <laughs> and this is American as well. Of so, yeah, so 21. 21, exactly. But um, anyway, so I finished that show. Good riddance. I never have to watch another. It's more like 49 reasons why, because there's so many episodes there are. So now I have zero reasons left to watch the show. Thank, Thank God. God for that. Thank God. Is it going to, there's not going to be a season five though, no, is it? No, they, they very much end capped it at the end. They could cool. do like a college 
American Pie reunion type let's, thing. I mean, that's not college, but you know what I mean. doesn't ever happen. Yeah. Ever. Because hopefully these teenagers, whoever was left, and it, I'm not even joking, like, it is literally just the survivors of high school in this, in this scenario. Like, that many people died in the show. Like, I counted on more than one hand how many characters died on this show. Um, about high schoolers, keep that in mind. Um, this all started with one kid. Too, it started with one kid, and then it started with a bunch more kids, <laughs> and then adults. People really didn't want to be written back into the show. <laughs> they were like, "Kill my character off." Uh, I mean, even even I mean, the fact of the matter is, all the characters that killed off in early seasons, they actually got more screen time this season because they all came back as ghosts. So, <laughs> who, who cares anymore? I mean, bloody, they turned Bryce into a cyborg for like half an episode. Like, it's like a weird imagination thing in Clay's mind. He's a cyborg. And it's like, wasn't this the guy who was, like, raping women in the other season? Now he's a cyborg. He's <laughs> trying to start a conversation. <laughs> let's let's do ourselves yeah. a favor and yeah. bridge away from this. I'm sorry. I, I've already talked about this more than I, I think. Too. I think it just, yeah, it's gotten already too much mic time. Doesn't yeah. deserve it. Exactly. Um, there were two documentaries I watched this week. And I think this goes, they don't necessarily go hand in hand in a topic sense, but... Um, I'll be able to talk about them hand in hand uh, in terms of the way you can pace a documentary. Okay. Um, and I liked both of these, but but there are clear differences in this way. So the first one I watched was The Booksellers, okay. which is currently at Luna. And essentially what this is about is... I thought it was about one bookstore in particular. It's actually more about the art of bookkeepers and booksellers and sort of the art of book preservation. And we, we I've always talked about film preservation, how mm-hmm. important I think that is. And it definitely translates to books because even though... They are just words on a page. This documentary does a really good job at showing the importance of the storytelling behind it and and the sort of the weird subculture that um, bookkeepers have made in terms of trading and selling very rare editions of books, whether they be like first editions or manuscripts or any of those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. if you're a book nerd, and I actually went um, with one of my friends, Mel, who is a book nerd, she's a lit student, she had a ball watching this because there's so many like little things that like lit students and... Uh, fans of just literature in general got like a real kick out of some of the the visual stuff like just some of the collectors they found and the collections that they have and the types of books they have like i'm trying to figure like the film equivalent i mean it's like when you went to you saw all the space odyssey stuff at the museum like it's it's that kind of equivalent i guess but obviously books go back thousands of years Mm -hmm. so probably hundreds of years i almost said hundreds of thousands i don't think that's true <laughs> probably not that far probably not that far but um there there is definitely a deep history to books and i i really love the doco from that point of view that there was a lot that they showed and a lot of cool neat things but uh, even like the talking heads were really fun and entertaining it, it was a, it was a good time the only issue i had um and this was something that mel agreed with even though she, we sort of loved being in that world yeah, yeah. booksellers and learning about the or the preservation all the stuff the actual pacing of the doco I had big issues with because it didn't really feel like there was any narrative direction. And it's a documentary. It's showing you these things, but there's ways to edit it. And this is solely editing at this point because mm-hmm. I think they had plenty of footage to make. I feel like this was an entertaining documentary and I look back and I was like, yeah, that was a fun time, but they could have edited it in a way where it felt like there was something being led to. There was like a certain sentence or a, 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 dot, a, a dot point to what they were trying to say necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they sort of lost that. Even I know at the end they have like a panel of a lot of the talking heads are now in one room talking to each other. And it's like, why is that the ending? Why wasn't that like peppered throughout? Why wasn't there sort of a, a talking point that led somewhere? 
Yeah. Um, and it just made the pacing really weird. It actually reminded me a bit of a student film in terms of like it would fade out, then fade back into a new store, fade it, fade out, fade back, and like it just it was so segmented. Like or it was all separated, and I really wasn't a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to this other documentary I saw, and I'm pretty sure you've seen this, and I'm not sure if we talked about it on the show yet, but Athlete A. I did. Which, yeah. yeah, new Netflix. Saw it, uh, only a few weeks ago, probably a month ago, maybe. Less yeah, than a I, month ago. I noticed it in your letterbox, and I was like, that actually looks really interesting. I'd love to. So I finally caught it this week. Did you and, like it? Um, I, I really liked it. I really it. liked it, yeah, too. Yeah, it's really good, eh? Yeah, it was. And, and sorry, but in stark contrast to the pacing, this very much has, like, it's a wider topic. It's got a narrative direction, but, too. Yeah, there's absolutely a key direction in terms of taking down this particular person. Mm-hmm. And, this entity so sorry you go on with no i think uh i don't think it did get mentioned maybe it was caught in that weird transitional week period where maybe i thought i'd talked about it on a previous week and then didn't talk about it It gets like that doesn't it yeah it does when you're 200 plus films in <laughs> um and yeah no i really enjoyed um it's probably a good time then to just talk about it now which is good um mm. yeah i really like the pacing of it I liked going into a world that I had absolutely no clue about, mm. like gym gymnastics has never appealed to me in a watching sense or obviously being a, a male, generally, we're not right going it's, to be gymnasts. I'm not, not saying there go- aren't male gymnasts, but... It's not our go-to sport, personally. Not not in <laughs> America and sure as heck not in Australia. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm um, not saying there's not male gymnasts or there's anything wrong with that. It's just not the, the sport you go to first. Um, and yeah, no, but I still was fascinated by it. Just the first off things like just getting an idea of the world, understanding Mm -hmm. that, uh, you need to be a certain body type and you need to start at a ridiculously young age, which seems obvious, obviously in hindsight watching it, but I didn't know anything about it. Like, I think the closest thing I've had any sort of in touch with is I watched stick it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like... Yeah, that's yeah, as close yeah. as I've come to gymnastics before. Um, I think what they do is incredible, and it it's interesting um, that it's sad nowadays. I'm not surprised that there was some guy who was using this as an opportunity to sexually exploit people mm. in a disgusting manner, and the fact that he was protected for, uh, for so many thirty five years. years um, USA gymnastics, and it's a real it is a real shame that that exists. But it, and it's it's even more a shame that someone that horrible doesn't even sadly surprise me as much as it used to. Well, exactly. We're so used to like these horrible people, and uh, we're in a time when a lot of these people are getting outed, which is great. But yeah, exactly. You right. You watch this and you're like, man, this is just just another one on top of the list. And... Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the person we're talking about is Dr. Larry Nasser, and, and much like you know when you watch something like Tickled or Fire. He is the villain of this documentary. Yeah. And I find it interesting when documentaries, there's that uncomfortability to it because, like, it is a real person that they're trying to vilify. But, I mean, they are doing horrible things, so... Yeah, exactly. And There's no sympathy there. When there's 30, 40 women coming forward about mm. it, then that's just unacceptable. And it definitely ends on a real hopeful note. Mm. Um, well, just the way they edit the montage of, and we well, don't need to spoil it, but no, but it's definitely from an editing standpoint, mm. I can, I haven't seen booksellers, but I get what you're saying with pacing and editing in terms of athlete A, it's pretty perfectly paced. It goes by yeah, yeah, far quicker. You don't feel the time going by. It just sort of, 
Well, you're right. It all feels like it's going. It's all leading towards the takedown of of um, Larry Nasser, and, mm-hmm. and and yeah, there's a wider organization behind it. The log lines and stuff like if you look into the film, it it sort of poses it from the perspective of the uh, in a in a in a bleh, I can't even speak now. Indian Indiana. In, oh my god. The, see, I was saying it perfectly fine mm-hmm. when I was writing these notes. <laughs> yeah, I had it right. In a poli- uh, I, oh my god. What's this? Indian, India. Oh my. <laughs> you okay, buddy? See, I'm no, I'm having a stroke now. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Well, it's you know you are I getting think, to see no age episode seventy nine. Yeah, I know. I really am. No, it's because I'm I'm like reading the word. I'm putting the wrong um emphasis on the wrong syllables. Okay. So Indianapolis. Yes. Jesus Christ, I got there. You got there. <laughs> um, so it's based on like those uh, star reporters there, and it kind of reminded me of a spotlight when we had those scenes. But I was actually kind of glad that they actually have a real backseat. In the- we're <laughs> going to keep all of that, aren't we? <laughs> me oh yeah. Up the word. Sure. <laughs> um, I was glad that they took a backseat because it felt like we were actually getting more time with the individual women, and we actually yeah. kind of got to know them as people and understand it's, the struggles they went through. It's less about the sort of the spotlight angle. It's yeah. very much focusing on the victim act. Whereas if you take a film like Spotlight, um, it's very much focusing on the reporting side rather than yeah. the victim side. The wi- the wider angle of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just it, it just reminded me of Spotlight. Those scenes. No, yeah. It's, it's just yeah. from the other side of the fence, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I was glad that was sort of the direction they took because you're right; it, it made you sort of emphasize, emphasize with everyone, um, and like even that the, when they interview the mothers and like they try to get involved and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, I just I really well, the parents. Yeah, think, exactly. Yeah, that's a big part of it. So I dug all that. It's all pretty uh, um, interesting. I would definitely recommend that film. It's really nice to see. Yeah, Netflix films. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell me what you've coming been, out uh, catching. Um. Okay, so I've had a pretty disappointing week. Oh, no. Um, unfortunately, um, I did catch the new Matthew McConaughey Snoop Dogg film, <laughs> Beach Bum. We were talking about bum. last week, yeah. And, um, did I catch, no, 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 I caught it during the week though. Um, yeah, it only came out this past week. Yeah. So yeah. I caught that. That's the, the latest release I would say I've watched. I was not at all. <laughs> a fan of this film. It didn't look very uh, great. It just felt yeah. like it was an excuse for Matthew McConaughey to be high for 90 minutes, basically, unfortunately. And th- that's a real <laughs> shame because um, uh, some people really enjoyed um, Spring Break, Spring Breakers. Right, with um, um, James Franco and... And uh, Selena Gomez. Yep, yep. yep. Um, some people really enjoyed that film. And it's by the same uh, filmmaker... Uh, Harmony Corrine. Okay. Or Corrin. Um, and unfortunately, I was not a fan of that film. And I like this one even less than I like uh, Spring Breakers. Because they at least... They felt like there was a cohesive narrative. Whereas this is mm. talking about sort of this guy who's genius, but he's drug drug addict, sex obsessed. You know, he's... Basically, he's just a human mess. And yet he's capable of these literal masterpieces. Mm. Um... But it's not cohesive. It's a bit of a mess, and it's inconsistent. And it's the same sort of style of Spring Breakers, but it, it's even less cohesive here. And just sort of felt like it was an excuse for a bunch of people. I think when you get things like people like Snoop Dogg in your film, uh, you, <laughs> I, at least James Franco was doing a different character actor, you know? Right. Um, in Spring Breakers, whereas like Snoop Dogg, he can't act. I'm sorry, he just can't. He's charismatic, sure, but he can't act. 
Well, he brings he brings butts on the seats. So that's probably the only reason he's in it. Yeah, but so so does Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But I'm, you know, he like, can still yeah do something. I guess I I can at least say that there's a, a two range like uh, two emphasis of ranges for. <laughs> there's a performance in there. There somewhere. is somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. Snoop Dogg's just Snoop Dogg. <laughs> um, that's fair. Yeah, so, it did not look good at all to me. Yeah, was not a fan. Um, I watched The Legend of Cocaine Island, which was a documentary about a, uh, well, a story involving a guy finding a bag, uh, a duffel bag full of millions of dollars of cocaine and then burying it on this uh, Mm. Puerto Rican island. And eventually a group of oddball misfits uh, hatch a plan to dig up essentially this buried treasure. Right. Um, Had a lot of those like, live reenactments um, oh gosh hated that that yeah that's that doesn't sound like a documentary like when you when you start talking about live reenactments, like the react reenactment stuff no i know the, what you mean that sounds more like a tv docker oh it wasn't it it never it's never good yeah and it's getting mm. it even gets worse the lot like I, i've seen a couple where it's not been too bad like a Abducted in plain sight was pretty good with it, but that was sort of a a murder mystery. Whereas this one right. actually had the guys from the story oh. reenacting sort of this plot. And if you've got the guys there with you, why don't you just like have like a tour of the island or whatever? Yeah, like why they need to literally reenact? Some people really it. like it though, the reenactment stuff. Because, but it, I, I don't. I like prefer archival stuff. If yeah. you're gonna bring anything in, or just talking heads and pacing. I mean, you watch something like Fire, which is totally archival, and then people's accounts of the situation. Yeah, and it builds so much tension. So, um, well, that that's the thing because a lot of documentaries are just interviews and archival footage. I mean, Athlete A, I'm pretty sure, is literally just interviews and archival footage, and it works. Yeah, that's it what works. you need sometimes. And. Unfortunately, when you bring reenactments like this in, especially if you're using the actual subject matter for mm. it, it almost romanticizes these people that are either, especially in this, either incredibly stupid. Well, they're proud of themselves, eh? Yeah, they're almost proud. They're almost glorifying mm. their stupidity. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, they're committing a felony and they're trying to pretend <laughs> like they're the good guys. Yeah. And yeah, it just gives them, I think, yeah, too much, too much pro-emphasis, I think. It reminds me of, um, because we did American Animals very early on this show, and they obviously played with the element of interviewing the real people with the actors that portrayed them, and there's a sense of guilt, though, when you watch that. I know it's a film film, but... Oh, no, but if you watch... I feel like... I almost feel like some of the cinematic elements, particularly the... the, Not the interviews, but the cinematic elements... I feel like they're almost shot off the basis of the interviews. I reckon the interviews would have been shot first. Yeah, for sure. Definitely the narrative would have sort of filled in the blanks and constructed. I know they play with it sometimes, but it's... I reckon there's a certain amount of... I mean, of course there's guilt. I mean, they all mm. went to prison for eight years. Oof. So <laughs> there is a huge regret there. They lost a big portion of their life, whereas this guy, he got off for six, seven months because basically plead that he was an idiot. Right. Um, uh, it's a little shocking it works so many times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the American legal system is funny. Um, funny. <laughs> and then I watched The Knight's Tale. Right. Okay. So uh, this is a bit of a classic. Time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen I, it myself. Okay. So um, I didn't actually think it was that bad. 
like some people really bag it. I don't oh, really? like the contemporary mashup with the medieval setting. It doesn't work for me at all. Um, it does remind me of bits and bobs of kind of a knockoff Princess Bride to an extent. It felt it reminded me of Princess Bride, like the poster and yeah, yeah, the star. Power, definitely don't love it as much as Princess Bride. Um, right. Because, but I like the sort of contemporary narrative element, the uh, construction that they use in Princess Bride. And this one, they just use modern day songs. Well, modern day in quotations. The first song, for instance, they they play We Will Rock You and then like mm. everyone's like doing the claps yeah. for We Will Rock You in the movie. Bohemian so Rhapsody. Yeah. And it, it <laughs> and they do it a couple of, like a bunch of other songs that are quite popular. Right. Um, and some people like it, some people don't. I think uh, Heath Ledger's re- like is a really good pretty boy. I mean, he's he was a really good pretty boy. Well, is this what? Do you know what year this came out in? Oh one. Interesting, because yeah, there was that period of time when he started being taken more seriously in acting, and Leo DiCaprio went through the same thing. But would O one? And of course, we were both very young at this point. You I would think, say cross that point. Probably O four would be where he started to. By the time he did Brokeback, he was for sure in yeah, that Yeah, that's realm. 06 or 07. Yeah, that was just after. That was later than 04, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. it was a little bit before. He's still in the 10 Things I Hate About You phase here. Right. Which I think is but 99. Even, yeah, that sounds right. Um, don't quote me on that. I still haven't seen that film from start to finish. <laughs> I've never seen it either. I might <laughs> oh give it a watch God. this, miss this week, to be honest, because I, I I really enjoyed it. And it's got... um, Nice Tower's got Alan Tudyk in it. I like Alan Tudyk. Mm, um very nice and yeah it was fine like for the most part it was actually it's just over two hours long and it was a really easy like easy watch okay, so like it went a by. perfect popcorn movie you know like yeah. you're not gonna you're not winning any oscars with this film but you know <laughs> you're still gonna have a good time with it and i like the media i've always liked the medieval setting like the way hollywood does medieval stuff right so see i'm kind of the opposite i've never been into medieval so much but, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with Princess Bride and um, I'm trying to think of what other medieval setting. You wouldn't really count... Oh, Lord Lord of, of, well, Lord of the Rings is was, fantasy. I was going to say, you wouldn't really count... But kind of. There's elements I'd say of, so. There's plenty of elements, I there's guess. There's enough in there. Yeah. But even then, I like it took me so long to watch Lord of the Rings. That's fair. Initially, so... But you've watched it. I have. I made. I I finished. I passed that threshold. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I've watched. Have you oh, watched anything cool. else? This um, week? I've watched one other film before we get into some of the later parts of the show. So this is one I've been kind of interested in a while, and I actually kind of can't wait to talk about this because I thought much less of this film than a lot of other people did, and that's a common theme. I've seen some films, and I was like, mm-hmm. "This is bad." And everyone else was like, "You're crazy." So I watched The Way Back. Which is the Ben Affleck film? Where he's a basketball coach. Oh yeah, 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 that got pretty good reviews, didn't it? It did. I look. It's not a bad film. I think I gave it like two and a half stars in Letterbox. So I gave it a flat. And for those who don't know, my my threshold is if I give anything a two and a half star or a three or three star re- review, it essentially means it's an okay film. And those two star ratings is the difference between whether I'd recommend it or not. Yeah, eighty three percent Rotten Tomatoes, sixty six percent Metacritic. Poof. So. Interesting. Sitting around a three, three to a three and a half star range. I think part of this, and this is what I've seen, I've every single review I've read on Letterboxd and outside and whatnot is all about um, his performance, his Affleck's performance, and of course he sort of melds into the role. It's part of his casting because he, you know, he's sort of an alcoholic and he has to climb back to the top of the, you know, the ladder in terms of getting his, his life together and whatnot. And I think 
a lot of people were like, oh my god, he really blew me away with his performance. And I've always, I've always said, I think Ben Affleck's a better actor than most people give him credit for. So when I watch this film, it's not really that surprising. I'm like, yeah, he's doing a good job, but I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it just didn't surprise me. Okay. Like, I think a lot of other people were surprised, I suppose. See, I'm unfortunately in the opposite camp. Yeah, I don't yeah, rate yeah. him as an actor at all. Um, so I'll be, I actually do want to watch it because I'm also a sucker for sports movies. So I'll probably end up giving it a higher score just because I like sports movies. Yeah, well, exactly. It Look, it's a finely directed sports film. I was a little upset, like the, the actual kids, like you don't really get to know any of them oh, properly. Get, it doesn't get the Coach Carter effect. No, it's just, like, I don't remember any of their names. And like some of them had like little quirks. Like, oh, there was the boy, he keeps floating with different girls between games. And, but it was also that thing where... He almost eclipses. Um, like, oh, you mean Ben Affleck? Yeah. Well, he's... Or is he more the focal point? Because in Coach Carter... He's absolutely the focal point. Yeah, see, in Coach Carter, he's not really the focal point. Right. Like, he's very complimentary to the story. Like, it's very much... There's a lot of emphasis put on the basketballers because he, what Samuel Jackson does in that film, and particularly Coach Carter, it's all about kind of rehabilitating. Mm. It's sort of like uh, in Remember the Titans. You wouldn't say Denzel eclipses like the team he gotcha, very much compliments mean. it which yep. is sort of the difference um because mm. if it's all if it becomes all about the coach it can have the sort of the any given this is, i'm going through all my sports yeah. movies here it'll have the any <laughs> given ahead, sunday man. effect where it's about al pacino more about than the game and i think yeah. films suffer more when they focus on the coach just the coach themselves and less about the team because if it's a team sport it's not just about the coach. It's different if it's an individual athlete sport movie. Mm. Like if it's about, for instance, The Wrestler, yep. which is a film I would love to do on the I show. I still haven't seen it. It's very much Aronofsky, just... Aronofsky, yeah? Yeah, Aronofsky. Yeah. And yep. it's very much, you know, it's about Mickey Rourke's character. Yep. You know, it's not, it's about the world around him, but that's because it's in kind of an individual sport technically, mm. you know? Um, yeah, like it, you don't have like a team of wrestlers fighting yeah. another team of wrestlers. Exactly, game, but yeah. coaches of teams, yeah, they can have their own stuff going on, sure, but the team needs to be affected by the coach. It needs to be a correlated yeah. relationship. Otherwise, it can feel like, okay, we get it, he's a coach. Yeah, well, I, I think in this film, and I, I won't spoil it because I'm very curious what you think. I, I, I do believe you'll like it better than me because you might have that Ben Affleck, like, oh, he surprised me. Yeah. Um. Slash sports film, and again, I don't, I don't know if I would consider this a sport film because you do see him coming as a coach and get the team like to a higher level where they need to. So you see, you see him come in and improve the team. But you're right in t- in terms of the amount of effect it has on him, like it's so supplementary. Mm-hmm. And again, without spoiling it, but like you know, in scenes when he is coaching the team, yeah, he's there. But whenever he's not coaching the team. We're not following the team, with very rare exception. Mm-hmm. We're following him. It's like, oh well, what's he doing tonight instead of instead of being at the game, for example? So it's is that kind of um, perspective, which is fine because they're they're trying to talk about addiction and and grief and all of these things. But it's like I've seen it so many times before, and it felt so telegraphed. It was like when I watched Extraction, like every shot, I was like, I can see the way it was written out in the script. Like, it just feels so telegraphed. Yeah, yeah, I get you. The, the amount that he was drinking in the first act of the film was, like, laughable. Like, oh, look, he's taking another swig of the drink. Oh, ho, ho. Just like, take a drink every time he takes a swig of the oh, drink. Oh, gee, I'll be dead. I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, I was quite negative in the film. I've seen people love this film, so give it a go. I'm not 
like I, said, I still gave it two and a half stars. It just means that I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone, but I also know I'm in the minority about that. So go go ahead, watch it. I wasn't a huge fan. That's fine. No dramas. Well, um, mm. we now move into our career section. If you have anything to add to that section, career. I do actually today. Well, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had anything to add in the career section for like 15 episodes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fine. It's been like that. It's I'm, been a 2020. I, yeah, exactly. Well, we, we've said this early on in the show. Like The career section's a bit iffy because... It's a supplementary section. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're Martin Scorsese. You can't give a career section every week of your life. Like, that's a bit yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, I think people understand that, though. That's For like, sure. We can't give everything. But luckily today, there actually is some big news on the Clicker Productions front. Wowzers. So today we finally put out a little announcement, teaser trailer, if you will, for a secret documentary we've been working on. Well, you, you've known about it for a little bit, but secret to most. Super secret. Super secret. So we're doing X-Rental Part 2 is a thing. It's happening, and uh, we're making it. You excited? I'm very excited. I think what's scary, though, is we did Part 1, or I guess we call it Part 1 now, and we had a very distinct idea of the beginning, middle, and end, but with this one, is a bit of an ongoing journey because we very much shot what we shot with an idea in mind of what it was going to be. And because of the real-life circumstances of our subject and of the building, and, and we can say that this documentary is solely focused on fan-based collectibles, while our first one was like three different stores yeah, yeah. in various stages of operation. This one is very much just following Matt and following fan-base. But because of that, there's a bit of uncertainty as to where the documentary is going to end. So it's hard to like give log lines and be like, this is what it's about. Cause it's, it's developing stories. So it's still yeah, sort of that's fair. figuring stuff out. And I, I don't want to say ne- exactly what the plan was, but the plan has to have changed. Uh, but we wanted to be transparent. So we've put out that trailer. We're like, yes, we're doing this. It's no longer a secret, I suppose. Um, and next rental part two is happening. So uh, dramas. That's pretty yeah, exciting. It is very exciting. Don't ask me when it's coming out. <laughs> I don't know yet. You don't need to plan that that far ahead. Exactly, but um, when the people get it is when it comes out. Exactly, that's it. When, when it comes out is when it comes out. <laughs> no as well, it is time for us to move into our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Zeke. <laughs> this week of the show, we're watching The King of Staten Island. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> Scott, having been a case of arrested development since his firefighter father's death years ago, begins a journey of grieving and moving forward in his life after his mother begins dating a loudmouth firefighter named Ray. Dun, dun, dun. This film was directed by Judd Apatow. Who's that? Uh, well, he got me knocked up. Uh, oh, hey. hey. A bit of, bit of comedy oh. for this comedy film. Snap. Crackle okay, pop. so this film, right? <laughs> <laughs> this film, right? Um, I think I, a couple of hot takes straight off the bat. I right, just we watched watch, this. We watched this separately. So yes. I don't, we don't know what we think yet. And I just watched this. Okay. Like, just before we sat down and did the podcast. Yep, yep. Um, I like... I mean, can, to say Pete Davison's a good actor, you can't, I think, yet. You have to hold out for other films. Okay. Um, however, I think this is finally a proving point for Bill Burr. 
in terms yes. of his acting ability because yes. he is not playing a comedian. He is playing, you know, he's playing this... Uh, he's a single fighter, a firefighter. Yeah, this uh, divorce, yeah, this div- divorcee fireman. Mm. Um, and I think he holds his own in this film against the, the with the chick from Spider-Man. I don't want to... Oh, Marissa Tomei. That one. I didn't realize it was her till like near the end. I was like, oh shit, what? that's Mrs. Tomei. She, no, because I'm used to her in Spider-Man when she's cleaner. This movie is Spider-Man, by the way. This is Spider-Man Homecoming, the the weed version. All right, you got yeah. Marissa Tomei. Homecoming, yeah. Bill, Bill Burr is, is Tony Stark. All right, yeah, there's Davis enough in there. Peter. There's definitely enough in there, for sure. Yeah. Um, But Just a I dirtier think version. that was one of my stronger points. <laughs> this is seriously bloated this film though okay and unfortunately like it's about 25 minutes too long it's not mm. like it comes in at two hours and 20 minutes and i think you could get this under two hours and it would be yep. a better film for it um but i still did like it i didn't dislike mm. it at all okay um but there were some scenes where i was conf- confused for the motivation of why to keep it in where I could like take, I could take a knife to this film and just cut take a, certain take certain a knife to this certain film. segments, <laughs> and it would make the film tighter, more efficient, hmm. and frankly better. Would like, you recut it yourself? Yeah, I would. I would recut it myself. Get a hold of the get the Zeke cut version of this film. MP4 file. <laughs> cut it. I could probably do it. I reckon I could cut cut the twenty minutes out. And then give you that film, and you'd like that film more. Okay. Well, it's, okay. It's interesting, sir, because like we we actually talked about it this weekend before we watched this film, and mm. you pointed out, and I was like, oh my god, you're right. Is that all of his films are well over two hours long? They're all very bloated. Knocked up is there's a lot of pretty there's a lot of junk in it. I don't like. Frankly, up. I know people love yeah. that film. I don't. I think it's it's very average. It's very very average. Yeah, because that's probably the one. That people know him for the most, I think. No, I think Forty Year Old Virgin. I think no. I think that. See, that one's actually just under two hours, and I probably could cut maybe ten, only about five five minutes out. Yeah, of it. Yeah, that's probably his best paid. I had a lot of fun with Forty Year Old Virgin. I only watched yeah. it a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, but that um, I mean, it's only because I really like Paul Rudd, and probably could cut right. some of his stuff out. But like, it's still funny, so it's an I'll, I'll allow it. Right, right. Well, I think I think that's the kind of the common thing. Even funny people like. I can't rewatch funny people from start to end. It's a really long film. Yeah. You know, and it's a fine film, but it's really long. Especially when you like take something like funny people and then you watch something like 50-50, which is just like really well paced. 50-50 is incredible, man. It's really well paced. Yeah. And it's tight. It's a tight hundred. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry, but comedies, even ones that have heavier issues, shouldn't be longer than two hours. And I know yeah. this one's, I, this one almost feels... This one I, takes itself more seriously. Which... Might warrant a a two hour runtime, but mm. I don't think it warrants two hours twenty. Yeah. Not many films get away with that kind of length. Look, I here's the thing with the length. I don't disagree with you at all. I do agree. It's it's oh, it's definitely longer than it needs to be. I think I was prepping myself for a. I was prepping myself for more because I knocked up um, to a lesser extent forty year mm-hmm. forty year old version. Definitely with funny people. You're right. There's a trend. Apatow makes really overly long films especially for the genre that he's tackling and i didn't mind it as much here i definitely thought oh we meet bill burr a little later than we should oh we get to this point before we like a little later than we should i felt that for sure mm. but i also wasn't that bothered by the length it's definitely long but i was it didn't like ruin 
any experience for me. I wouldn't say... Yeah, I'd like, yeah. I still came out feeling... Like, I think every... Most of the performances here are really strong. There was... Mm. I think the sister I wasn't a big fan of. Do you know who the sister was played by? Uh, not actress name-wise, but... Uh... Maud Apatow. Well, that... Who do you think that is? Mm. <laughs> that... Yeah, that disappoints me because honestly, I really didn't think she was a very strong actor. I didn't and mind her, but you're right. She stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, like especially when she was playing off between uh, Tomei, Davison and her are all in the same room. Right. She really, really stood out like, oh, you are... Especially when you look at even Davison's friends, they were all had a really good chemistry between each other. Yeah, they did. Um, and and Davison's really love interest of the film, like oh, um, Kelsey. Yeah, like they all Kelsey's had great. Yeah, all of them were a mixture between good to great. Where mm. so that made average look really average. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's the Godfather for even as well. Where like yeah. the one, the one sort of bad apple really sours a lot. I I don't think she sours the film at all. But you're right. She, I mean, even her friend who like is with her at the dinner for whatever yeah. reason. I know that's um Timothy Chalamet's sister. I'm pretty sure. So oh. it's like she's got. So you chal- could have just flipped them. <laughs> Because well, there's, there's, you're right. They should have actually flipped them. Because that's a good point. Because then she'd still be in the film. Because her friend has nothing to do nothing with the film. Nothing to do at all. No. And I, I don't know about you, but if if she's half as good as Timothy Chalamet, then you would she's rather see her. Be, yeah. yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I don't mind putting your daughter in a film, but don't put her in a role where she actually does have some pretty confronting scenes, and those with scenes Pete, yeah. oh, are really taken stop. away when you mix it in with the subject matter of mm. the fireman sort of mentality, but especially when you've got Buscemi playing off Bill Burr. I was so happy because I obviously knew Bill Burr was in the film, but mm. when I saw Steve Buscemi, I was like, Oh my God. Yes. And then he was in it for quite a bit. And he's, but they play when you have that sort of subject matter between, mm. you know, Burr and Buscemi and, and Davidson and you got that on one end and then you got the, the you know, the Bill Burr, Tomei Davidson stuff. Yeah. It really makes her stuff look, that much like weaker not as interesting yeah what's well, not but she actually has a pretty interesting character like and that's what made me kind of just be like she, she i'm sorry she's not a good actor she's okay, not yeah. she's got a long long way to go and i'm not saying i mean no one's ever going to be a bad actor forever if they keep turning at it but it like you said it's true. like you said it's the godfather 3 situation if yeah just because she's related it makes me even more skeptical because don't tell me they didn't have the budget to afford someone else because look at right. the lineup in the film. There's enough there's enough people, you know, that was totally a biased decision and I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, I'm looking at her um, filmography now and yeah, a lot of her roles, I mean, she's in Knocked Up, she's in Funny People, she's in This Is 40. I want to see who that... Oh, that was also Avatar. Yeah, so we, she's pretty much only worked on her dad's films. I wonder like, why. She's not really an actress, if yeah. that's the case. Yeah, because... So Lucky. <laughs> just yeah, and I think yeah. it really it really does show in this film. Um some of the uh lighting I thought was a bit off in some scenes. Um Interesting. Particularly okay. that built and I don't know if they're going for realism, like the real grounded realism where it's like, Oh, we're just doing all natural lighting, but sometimes it felt like like not like that it felt more amateurish interesting yeah it, it, they definitely weren't going for a heightened effect i mean some of the stuff like when they're outside on the street 
Yeah, it feels like they're going to have minimalistic I, lighting. I remember the ones at the, the back, but... how sometimes it felt like, like particularly that Bill Burr introduction scene. Um, oh, right. He's got real dark shadows on his face and the background's yeah. blown out. And I'm like... I Just wondering a, why. Yeah, why? Because it doesn't yeah. complement this scene that's supposed to introduce this character that's quite a crucial character. Well, it's film. interesting because the son walks out onto the street at one point and mm-hmm. he's sent back to the car. So you, you would want the background to be well exposed. And I don't remember. I'm, I'm just... I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're correct that it's like really overexposed. You would want it to not be overexposed so you can see the son walking away later on. Yeah, and I, like... I don't know if he's going for this because I noticed... I've noticed that I think sometimes he doesn't... Awful, sometimes it feels like he doesn't care that much about what... The, the, the visual side of it right i never remind figure like never thought it was a problem in 40 year old version or knocked up and this is the first time i like looked at him like that just that just looks lazy like to me like yeah i'm not someone he doesn't have to make it look super cinematic but at least you know light the scene correctly it's interesting because I, I i was never distracted by that I, i'm actually i feel like i have a bad eye with especially films that aren't overly heightened it's like I, I can tell you that blade runner 2040 2047 2049 20, 20, yeah i know yes. i'm having an off day man it's okay um i can tell you that yeah that's a good looking film but <laughs> but they films like this where you're right it's a more naturalistic film it's kind of hard for me to tell what's good and what's bad mm-hmm. i'm gonna tease p i'm gonna tease things for people before they get to the end of this show the cinematographer for for this film for Staten Island, Robert Elswit, mm-hmm. he's a actually a very renowned cinematographer, uh, photographer, and he's also the cinematographer for the film we're going to do next week. So ha- wow, yeah. So uh, audience, have fun guessing what film you'll find out soon enough. But have fun guessing. Perhaps maybe it was just the aesthetic he was going for. Yeah, look, I got that. I definitely got the aesthetic of oh, it's a bit gritty and grungy and. But then you look at the scene in like the. Uh, friends kind of drug den and it's really well lit i like that scene a lot it's like very in like the lighting all feels realistic but it doesn't uh but it also complements everyone really well Mm. everyone's really well lit no one's got harsh shadows or anything like that whereas that scene felt like maybe i i doubt like bill burr was only on set for so many days i feel like this is very much this is the first time bill burr's ever gotten a film where he actually gets to be a front man yeah he has a lot to do and i was so happy about that yeah so he was in some Breaking Bad scenes. He was in Date Night. Yeah, like he's got... Tina Fey and Steve Carell. Like he's been seen in that, stuff. But, it's, it's fun. Uh, most of the time, he's got max five to ten minutes of screen time. Like yeah, He's in exactly. the front runner for a fair bit, oh, but he's cool. but he just kind of plays under... Ironically, under Louis C.K. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Which, look at that career trajectory, switch around. I didn't see Louis in this film. I don't know no, where, I where he went. <laughs> gone into hiding i don't think we'll ever see him again yeah 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 um and i find it interesting so you didn't talk about it in the first half of the show and before we move on more with this film right uh you saw pete davidson stand up i did i saw it this morning and not a fan no okay so look i'll preface I, I'll, I'll kick off what you were saying about cinematography because like i said um i i mean i did notice some stuff with bill burr's like the, the way his skin was lit or just yeah, like the color it was grade. just hard to like. There was some that was off. I was like, he looks really different in certain scenes. It was just hard to like bald people. <laughs> <laughs> and his mustache more than makes up for it, dude. Either. That mustache is insane. <laughs> That's his mustache. I wish he did a stand-up special with that mustache. Oh, he should, eh? <laughs> nah, apparently he did grow that out. He said, I think it took about a month and a half. 
yeah. I think they were originally going to do the full beard. I was watching an interview he did with someone, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, whoever. I don't know anymore. Well, firefighters aren't allowed to have beards. Oh, they, they, that makes sense then. They can't have it because of their, recipro- their breathing ah. apparatuses. He said they got rid of it because it looked weird. <laughs> that's yeah. the only reason they did it, apparently. Well, I, like, but... actually, that's an actual fire. Like, fire gotcha, thing. gotcha. Um, but anyway, you, you asked me about, about Pete Davidson because I don't, I don't really know Pete Davidson up until this point. We talk about Bill Burr to death on the show. Yeah, so. honestly, I've I, I he's only got one special on Netflix, and I've also yep. only seen it this year. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, what came out this year? I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, well there you go. <laughs> I think he's very new to the because he's a SNL writer. Mm. Yeah. So as he talks about on the yeah, he talks uh, about Louis and in, in that in that stand. He up. does. Um, <laughs> I he's got a dry sense of humor. Um, mm. so if you like that type of comedian, um, then he's. He, he and he has a certain, I mean, he's got a stoner appeal. Like he very much is playing himself yeah. in in this film. Um, so it's good to get an, an idea of the type of person he is from that special before watching mm. this film. I actually think well, watch I went both the other if way. you can. I, I watched the film and then the special. Okay. Um, I so go... I, I got that sense where he's telling stories. Like, oh, those are stories they told in the film because it is meant to be very loosely based, sort of autobiographical on his life. Well, the. The key uh, similarity is, uh, like, I think the fact that he was actually born in Staten Island. Oh yeah, and or, and his father passing away at a young age. Uh, and, uh, well, in nine eleven. In nine eleven, yeah, which is which is funny because a lot of the stuff I read for this from going into it got the real life and the fake mixed up. So in this film, they don't say that he died in nine eleven, but I remember reading log lines about this film specifically saying that he did. I don't think, and he then, did, but in the film, they say another fire they don't well say... they say they say like the building fell on him and i was like oh are they like cheekily no but they called it the paramount fire yeah so so they changed it so i think they didn't do it which i like that's actually no, a I big pro i didn't mind it. it's just the promotional material threw me off well i don't like and i'll say this now i mm. think that's one of the few world disasters that really sh- should i mean and it's been it's actually a pretty contemporary debate whether um, that particularly that event should be de- like capitalized in film. Um, and this yeah. is a little different because this one actually doesn't specifically talk about the World Trade Center. Yeah, incident, well, they this film specifically dodges that question, which I I can appreciate more mm. because I mean you look at things like Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which is not a good movie. Um, Do I know this film? Um, Screaming got, loud got, got nominated for Oscars. Is it a documentary? No. 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 Documentaries are different because documentaries yeah, can yeah, talk about... I've yeah. seen plenty of 9-11 But dramatisation, I mean, there's World Trade Center, there's quite a few of mm. them. Um, and a lot of them miss the mark and then they just feel like people trying to capitalise off tragedy. Um, and especially when it's only happened in 2001 and people were making films in 2005, 2006, that's like a little too close to home. Yeah. Whereas if you took something like Holocaust as plenty of films on that. Yeah. But most of them waited at least three, four decades before really discussing that. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's interesting. Cause like we've seen films, I mean, like I remember I watched Casablanca before realizing they made that film during world war two mm-hmm. and that kind of threw me off. And to be fair, it's a little distance from world war two. It's not like the plot isn't, Oh, I guess the plot is kind of dictated. That's a weird example, I suppose. But yeah, there are films that when we look at history, we don't look at Holocaust films as like, being made during the time of we look oh, oh they made them decades later yeah. but there are those few examples for world wars and for the holocaust yeah. and like and it is kind of a weird 
feeling. I mean, doc- it's, almost, it's taboo. No. I guess yeah, it's exactly. probably the best way of describing it. Um, so I kind of like that. This is it. It doesn't. I actually think by making it not that event, mm. like it was actually in Pete Davidson's real life, um, it allows it to focus more on the emotional story. Yeah, well, that, that's the main takeaway: is the father was gone, and they're using the firefighter angle in the story yeah. as, as something for him to relate to, and we'll get into that later in the plot, I suppose. Yeah. But you're right; they kind of kept what they needed to. Um, I just didn't like the the because the promotional stuff also made it sound like I think we we read it in the logline last week that he was going to become a stand-up comedian in this film. And that yeah. doesn't happen at all, which I no. thought was interesting. Well, that's what I thought when uh, the ending came around. He's, she's mm. like, oh, find something to do for three hours. And I thought he was going to walk into some bar or something. Right. But yeah, it's got nothing to do with that. Well, see, I, I'll, I'll talk about the ending in a little bit. I fucking loved the ending. Okay. I adore the ending. And, and that's part of the reason on upon reflection. I was like, oh, is that what they're sort of hinting at? But um, to answer your question about Pete Davidson. Yeah, I mean, that stand-up special, it wasn't more his comedy style. I did laugh a few times. I think I'm just spoiled by Bill Burr. He's, like, so spot on with his it, comedy. But comedy is subjective. It like, is it, subjective, but, like, even the the thing itself was, like, it was 50 minutes long, not even. Uh, the, the aesthetic was just kind of off. It felt like a lot of B material, mm-hmm. you know? I, I just got a little annoyed by his, like, idiosyncrasies, like, he's kind of... Like, I, like, Bill Burr laughs at his own jokes sometimes. Sometimes he just starts laughing on stage. Yeah. Like, I felt like Pete Morris, uh, Pete Davison, Jesus, did it a, a bit more often. Like, it just started bugging me a little. I don't know. I didn't like the production No, no. Of it. Generally, they don't encourage stand-up comedians to laugh at their own jokes. Yeah, no. And he, he did it a lot, to be yeah. honest. But I, as him as a person, it's like, I still appreciated how he was able to mould slightly into, into the character of Scott. And I think Scott is named after his actual dad. Yeah. And he is a naturally yeah. charismatic person, yeah. I think. He has a... A different, like I said, he's got that sort of stoner comedian presence, which you know it's it's got its market, you know. Mm. And I think, you know, the more we see, he'll probably do a couple more stand-up specials, and I reckon that'll as soon as he starts to find sort of that click, yeah, it'll work. I, I mean, mean, you made a good point. It's his first Netflix special, his first like, special ever. Oh, well, period. There you so. go. So he's plenty of room to grow. Like I'm not poo-pooing him as a person or as a comedian. I just yeah. thought that that specific sort of stand-up special was not great. Oh, it just means more room for improvement. Exactly. I don't particularly find this film that funny, which is... Um, mm, okay. Like, probably the, the most laughs I got were, once again, sort of out of the Bill Burr... They very much... Apatow's definitely tried to make Bill Burr's character... He's different, but when he's trying to be funny... It very much you start to feel the Bill Burr comedian coming out. Right, that when, bit when you, he's when you screaming, let him play a bit more. Yeah, when he's like <laughs> screaming at his kid and screaming yeah. at Pete Davidson and you know Marissa Tomei, and um, it's very much like channeling that either that Frank Murphy from F is for Family or. A oh, Bill you know what's funny? Yeah. I started watching that today. And do you see it? I yeah, I, I could just yeah the Bill Burr like channeling all of his inner thoughts yeah. into that into that character. You're gonna like that show. Like I like the first that, episode. It was funny. Yeah, the show definitely dips in season two, but course corrects in season three and season four. Okay, cool. And it starts to push less. It's still com- comedic, but it's starting to by three and four. It's starting to really develop and push characters. Yeah. Um. And I really like that, where you can mix... Because comedy and tragedy should be very close to each other. Um, and if you can get that right balance mm. of the two, you're creating... You create a really good sitcom. Yeah, I think... I mean, I mean that show already, just from the one of the first scenes when the phone's going off and he's he's like, I'm refusing to answer that phone. 
it sort of immediately tells you this is what Bilbo is going for. Well, that and, film, and intro, I mean, that show is definitely reflective of his childhood. Oh yeah, for sure. The fact that it even takes place, I think, in the seventies is like bang. You know what yeah. he's doing with that. Yeah, and with his own you can family. you can almost see um, the um, Bill, not the mid, not the eldest, but the middle child is very yeah, much yeah. what Bill Burr was. Yeah, uh, the analog. I mean, even the pilot, he gets like the most attention. When yeah, he, he gets most attention. Like he's probably like they all get a little bit, but he's definitely the the secondary sort of focus. In that yeah, he's of. the Bart Simpson of the Simpsons. Oh, it's a really good show. Oh, he's got some really strong cast. I mean, Laura Dern's the mum. Yeah, like, I was like, what? I was reading the cast. Sam Rockwell's in it. I was like, oh, yeah. this is um, cool. Justin Long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Odd, odd choice, but why not? He, he's pretty funny though. Yeah. So that's our review of F is for yeah, Family. <laughs> no, well, I think that like it was really nice to not only yeah really think I think this is kind of a th- almost a borderline three-way split on... Um, I like that they kind of push away a little bit from Pete Davidson's character of um, Scott mm. um, for a little bit and then focus on Bill Burr and, and Marissa Tomei's characters for a little bit. You well, know. It's interesting because I never felt that it's straight away from... I guess there is that scene when they have their first date. Yeah. And that is a very separate... I mean, we do... When they're sneaking around before Scott finds out, like, we are seeing it from the parents' perspective. Mm-hmm. So... That's a good point. I'll give you that in terms of we do sort of stray away from Scott's perspective of points. It's very rare, though. Like, I always felt it's from his point of view. Like, when, when he's getting into an argument, you know, with his parent about, get, you know, he's getting kicked out in nine months, mm-hmm. it always feels like, even even though I understand, like, you know, 24, and I mean, I'm almost 24. So, well, we're both 24, end of next year at least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're roughly in the same age yeah. bracket as scott so um but even with that i'm mean, I mean, still like even though i kind of agree with the parents like yeah he should get it he, kick him out put him on the road but like you do get that sympathy and the film's trying to make you sympathetic for him for sure so but he's kind of he he's gets to a point where it's like yeah you definitely side more with the parents for sure yeah at a certain point I w- there's a certain how- amount of immaturity in his character yeah, well, it all it all leads into the arc when he's homeless and he ends up at the the fire station. He ends yeah. up sort of building that bond with with not just uh, Bill Burr, I guess his surrogate dad at this point, but the mm-hmm. entire station. Yeah, and it's just like uh, that stuff. It's like it's a little obvious, but it was nice. Yeah, but well, he, I mean, it comes back nice. to even like, but he starts to become more selfless, like where he helps the yeah, random yeah. stranger that comes up to him. That's always. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. bleeding out <laughs> stuff is happening I think he actually does say because he's muttering the whole time I think he actually does say I think his bond exploded I think that's why he has that or maybe he made it up well, he says vape vape bomb that's but he it. Kept, yeah. kept making up different yeah yeah that was the one I, like, I caught I was like oh that's probably what happened that's why he can't say if he got shot or stabbed yeah <laughs> that was a funny scene but you're right it, it's all in service of the, the it's the coming of age story and Scott sort of learns and that's why And I, we can talk about the ending I guess now yeah it's fine because I love the ending with not even just the execution, you know, they play, um, God, what's the name of the track that I'm already forgetting? Pursuit of Happiness, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the trailer, of course. But just, yeah, just that moment of him, or Bill Burr first drives him to basically chase the girl back. Yeah. To get, um, is it Casey? Kelsey back. Kelsey back. And then, I mean, that conversation on its own is nice because you, as the audience member, you know what she wants him to say. And he's kind of getting, mm-hmm. he's kind of ticking all the right boxes, helping her with the thing, they kiss and stuff. But then you're right, he's sort of let out Three hours of just him and the big cat and the big apple. He's not on Staten Island anymore. He's not far away, but he's not on the island. And yeah. now that I've sort of, I didn't do a lot of research in him, but like you said, it's like ah, oh, it feels like a little wink to the camera with oh, is this when he walks into his first like stand-up bar or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's and definitely it's sort of got that a New York awe shot. 
because they yeah, really like wanna... even the buildings and how. You... What's well, a sweeping shot that really? Yeah. Came. It's not a, and it's it's good that it's not some like, Times Square circle shot. It's very much like no, you know where we are. You know this place. Like yeah. this is. It's almost like they've ventured to this magical land that's just above the horizon that they were never able to get there. And I I, I think there's definitely um, it's a good it is a good ending because it's implied but mm. it's also open to interpretation he could just go and do absolutely nothing for three years but <laughs> that would be we don't think that, that would we don't think that's going to be obviously where he goes yeah well exactly i think a film like that it is sort of the best way to end it where it is open-ended I, it's funny because we, we just talked about sort of the appropriateness of of tying the dad's death to 9-11 of course the film doesn't do that but it would have been interesting if they made a better point of of where his dad specifically died because that could have been the first time he's left the island since his dad died and maybe he ends up at a landmark to do with his dad. I'm not saying that, that would have been a better ending. Yeah, but, but like it's I said, because of their separation mm. from uh, obviously that specific event and they just attribute it to another house fire. Yeah. Um, they can't I really have like ground zero. That, on well, the reality is thing. that fear <laughs> comes in the scene where he goes to the actual event of a fire and watches the surrogate That's father true, figure yeah. He's had that go moment. into the building, much like he went into the building, except he That's comes really out. Point, yeah. um, and there's sort of that feeling he gets of, of dread, but also then relief when Bill Burr comes out. When they're, yeah, they're safe. Um, so, yeah. That's a good point. I guess, yeah, they already did tick that box, if you will. Yeah. I, I think by the end there, it's, it's more him setting foot into this new world uh, be- mm. because he's now become a different person, a new man. Yeah. I, I wish it was just, uh, you're right. That, that the firefighter sides ticked off. I wish there was just something that was like a confirmation. Like he's never left the Island since mm-hmm. like, this is the first time he's done it in like his whole life. But I would have loved that confirmation. I guess it's just inferred or implied, which yeah. is fine as well. But you know, um, I had, so, I mean, we talked about the cinematography, a bit earlier. I actually had other issues specifically with the coverage and the editing of the coverage that they it's had. It's a bit, a bit janky sometimes. There were two scenes in particular where they broke the 180 and the 30 degree rule like so many times and I was like, I usually don't care about breaking the rule. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, we're mature film goers or viewers now. We mm-hmm. know if the camera breaks the 180 rule, usually we can just tell where the camera is or where the eye lines are. But it was like really distracting this time. And well, it was, hmm? I mean, at the end, that's why those rules are there, right? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, they're guidelines, and and if you break them too many times, like this movie does in a lot of scenes, it gets distracting. I remember the, the scene specifically when, you know, we said it earlier when they're telling Scott, "Hey, in nine months, you've got to get out of here." If you watch the camera placements, like not only does it break the one eighty rule, but like there's times when like it would cut within thirty degrees of where the angle is and it's like did you just run out of tape <laughs> like yeah, why would that cut there it was so jarring maybe they just lost like yeah lost track of their coverage maybe in that scene i think sometimes it can be a potential like a problem with comedies and i think there's actually a problem in, in apatow comedies in particular mm. um he can sometimes he just sets and forgets the camera and lets them sort of mumble and i've seen it happen like yeah. in anchorman it's like you watch the outtakes and they're very funny, but right. it's also why there's simple camera placements. Yeah. Well, I think just comedies in general, especially like raunchy comedies, which Apatow is so known for. Mm. You're right. You, you can have a tendency to just leave, let the camera roll and let the actors do it, which, like, yeah, can which, be which very works lazy. if it's just a full hard line comedy. Mm. But when it's, you're actually trying to be a little bit more, uh, 
uh, well, personable and, yeah. and dramatic in what you're, you know, trying to sell us. Like, this is a comedy drama rather than a just yeah. a flat comedy. Those conventions need to kind of exist because... Right, so you're saying he's overcompensating with too much coverage in this scenario. Potentially. Yeah. Or he's, yeah, he's just allowing the actors a little bit too much freedom and mm. that can come off if it's given too much freedom even with the camera too, it can come off kind of lazy and amateurish sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. And it takes you out of the scene. And yeah, I, I, I did notice a couple of edits. I was like, oh, okay, what's what's going on here? Well, yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm This is just from my memory, of course, but like, yeah, you have the, you just had to have these low angles. The camera's basically where the table is, where you're cutting between Scott and then you're cutting between the two parents, which you know, makes mm. sense. You put the two parents in the same frame, but then all of a sudden it switches shoulders. It switches from Scott's shoulders. So when we're looking at the parents... We're on the other side of the table now. And then that's the shot that they cut to virtually the same angle, just it punches closer in. Yeah. And it's like, why? Like, you didn't need any of those angles. It's weird because actually a lot of the fireman stuff, like at the station, at the ball game, that stuff's really well shot. Mm. And it's really like. And there's more more characters there too. Yeah, which is really interesting. So it's almost like. I actually think a lot of the scenes where there's real, like. Not even depth on Pete Davidson's character, but the where, the real confrontational scenes where they talk about like the, a lot of the fireman service mm. stuff. Basically, most of the stuff that has Buscemi in it. Yeah, those scenes are all really good and really well shot. And I think Buscemi like directed those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> what a coinky dink! You know that wouldn't actually. He's looking. He's looking a little old. Or in this film, oh, you should see him in Miracle Workers. Although he's meant to be like really old in those okay. in that show, but I hope he's okay be safe i'm sure he's doing good i, love Steve. I just wanted more and more and more stuff more stuff yeah come on guys yeah. Yeah. i was really because i i honestly thought when he first popped up again i didn't realize he was in this film i was like please god don't put him in just one scene are yeah. you kidding me are you bloody tarantino in him here with pop fiction don't do and then of course there's way more scenes of him later. Someone he's like, in grown-ups <laughs> don't remind me okay <laughs> He has the same broken leg in this film. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or um, body, do you have yeah. anything else you'd like to add? Um, I think I'm quite okay. I mean, we talked about the nice, neat structure of the narrative. I love that, obviously, Bill Burr goes and lets him tattoo and practice on him and his back. And it was a nice little note to end on because, obviously, they met via tattooing the sun. That was a funny scene, yeah. actually. That actually would have been my highlight scene if I didn't scrape another one up, to be honest. But... Um, speaking of said highlight scenes, do you want to jump into such? Yeah, I'd say probably my highlight scene is probably that, um, the scene with the fireman at the table and it's the Buscemi, mm. they're talking about the Coke story. Yep. Um, and I like that because, and I really like that and and the baseball stadium scenes. Right. Because. Yeah. A lot of tension in that, well, in that other one. even he said, even Davison says it in, or Scott says it in the scene. He's like, oh, there's two sides to, you know, this coin. And both right. those scenes are both sides of the coin. They're the bookend scene because you're right. Yeah. He Brent he says it in both mm-hmm. things, and he even apologizes, like you know, thank you for sharing. Sorry, I was an asshole. Yeah, and then yeah. that sort of bleeds into when Davidson actually talks about the memory of his dad in his stand-up special, and yep. he's talking to the veterans about his dad. That was the exact moment. I was like, ah, there's the tie. Yeah. So I'd, I'd, that might be a bit meta narrative, but still, even just in the f- the confines of the film. And not with the the intertextuality, right? Um, those two would be the my bookmarked highlight scenes. No, exactly. Because, like I said, I watched the film before the special, so you're right. From a standalone point, where I had no idea that was a real story for say, mm. it worked. 
It definitely yeah. wasn't distracting anyway. I think that's the thing with Bill Burr as well. Like when he's singing with everyone, is just I don't know. Like it, there's an authentic performance. Is there. is he like the guy you want to have a beer with? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I you reckon know. so too. Yeah, I I reckon I'd be too nervous though. We'd have the Cat Empire effect all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we and did it, all right with Cat be like, Empire. Like, ah, what the like, fuck are you doing? <laughs> we, yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Oh god, he's. I mean, he's great. Um, I, I'm keep, I'm trying not to actively sidetrack myself with Bill Burr stories because we've got to do this bloody film. That's okay. Um, all right, so my highlight scene, to bounce off yours, um, I actually did struggle with this one because you're right, this film is a bit bloated and when I when I started thinking about back on scenes, it's like, there's a lot of scenes that, yeah, the dialogue, and it's not as bad as Knocked Up. There's so many dialogue sequences that are like so unnecessary and, and this one mm-hmm. I felt like, you're right, a little trimming would have helped. So I think those kind of spoiled some of the scenes. And it's ironic because it's like, if you look at like Seth Rogen and, and James Franco, like mm. Point Grey films, they're pretty good with their pacing. They're not all good films, but... Right, but the conversations the... don't like drag on so much. No, and like... even in a, in a film like, yeah, this is the end, I feel like every comical conversation still has pacing in it. Yeah. So... No, I think there's definitely a better way to go for it. Like, and again, I think Knocked Up is probably the worst example of that. Um, so with that in mind, I sort of had to dig up a bit of a highlight scene. And like I said, I like the scene with the kid being tattooed, but I think the scene I ultimately went with for scenes, it's like montage is the times when, uh, Scott's hanging out with Ray's kids. So he's walking them to school. Okay. I thought that was actually really sweet. Yeah. He's really chill with it. I like the, I like how everyone thinks he's a predator. So (laughs) like, you know, the primary school teachers are both like, well, especially the little sisters, uh, the yeah, yeah, the the te- her teacher, yeah, she's... who who's the same woman. She plays um Arnie's mum in Thirteen Reasons Why, and my mum oh. pointed that out. I was like, oh shit, you're that's right, a, that's her. What a what a pick. No, just a yeah, random. I, I like her accent's completely different though. That's why she's got such a thick accent in the in the show. Not but... British. Yeah, well, um, no, I I do like that, and even like the hard cut from him like all right fine i'll take i'll walk your bloody kids he's angry at ray and then the hard cut to the mother being like who are you what the fuck are you doing here like <laughs> like just screaming like who are you why are you touching my or <laughs> grabbing my kids or to walking them like i just that was so funny like her yeah. performance it was great um but no I, even just the way he bonds with like her singing and him like his superhero fantasies and stuff like that was all sweet, and it was a little nice little step forward in his little coming of age story well no dramas well mm. The King of Staten Island is currently out in cinemas in Australia and everywhere else. It's out on Amazon Video, yeah, Google yeah. Play, uh, I think that's the, Fandango if you're in America. Yeah, I think I would check YouTube because I was curious. I saw VOD and I was like, really? And then, yeah, YouTube just says pre-order, so it must be an Australian thing. Yeah. So if an Australian, gotta go to a cinema, mate. Yeah. Soz, not Soz. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, enjoy actually going to a cinema <laughs> safely. Yeah, you're actually allowed to here. Yeah. There's a reason it's VOD everywhere else. is because they can't leave their homes. Exactly. Oh, we're Speaking of here. cinemas, Jake, <laughs> what's new in cinemas this week? Oh, and you... streaming platforms. And streaming platforms. i still got them going. I'm slowly etching out the streaming platforms. Like Even <laughs> on Disney Plus this week, I've just got, oh, there's a new show called Road Trip. And it's... That no one's going to watch. <laughs> no one's going to watch. It's just two guys on a road trip, I guess. Looks like a National Geographic. Oh, they're too busy type. going to Disneyland. Oh, oh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, but um, I am trying to limit down the streaming, and we can get back into cinema exclusively. But it is a big week, Zeke. Okay. So bear with me on this one. So on Netflix this week, you got Jack Whitehall's "I'm Only Joking," 
So we're keeping with the the stand-up comedian realm, uh, keeping it in Mm -hmm. topic. Uh, The third season of Good Girls. And Zeke, I know you and Jack are very excited about this. The Kissing Booth 2! Ding, ding, ding! I've... This one, my uh, worst grade of a film last wow. year. Wow. It's got point oh two. I think I did it because I used to... Because I... On Instagram, I did them out of 10, and I did them in uh, qu- three quarters. Oh, yeah, because you had a different rating system. Um, and yeah. I gave this a quarter star. <laughs> I think I might have even given it zero. Maybe I gave it zero. Oh, my God, a zero. Um, it was by far the worst drink to... Cr- well... Technically, the best drink to cringe, but the worst film I watched last year. The that's, Kissing Booth. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. So I am super excited for this film. Oh god! See, I got to watch the first one before this weekend, and you, me, and Jack all have to do another. It's drink, worse drink than the Smosh Movie. It's worse than oh, the. Smosh. Is it really? No, no way. Yeah, it can't I, be. I think Swiped is the only one that might rival it. Swiped. Right. Swiped was is in, terrible. It was in a league <laughs> of its own. Is it the same dude, Noah? What's his face? Yeah, if he's in the film, you know it's bad. Right. And even the main chick, I when I, I watched know. I watched Summer Over 03, and that's meant to be her in that film too. And I remember being like, eh, it's not bad. It, like, it got worse as it went along. And then I looked at the letterbox scores, and I was like, oh, people do not like her at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, just her as a person, so. Yeah. So, this film, I reckon, is probably going to be my least favorite film of this year. So, congratulations. It, uh, it'll get out two years running. Yeah. Well, but I... <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want. In your film oh, series. if it's a drink no, to from, cringe. From their point of view, I mean. Yeah. For uh, <laughs> for us, this Saturday, it's going to be a fun night. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and no, we're not doing that film next week. It was not shot by Robert Ellswit. Just <laughs> if you're <laughs> you, curious. Can you imagine? Oh, God. Um, I also want to make a correction quickly from last week. That Cursed, uh, the one with Catherine Langford, that's actually a series, not a film, which makes me immensely less interested in watching it just because mm. there's more than an hour of it. Um, on stand this week, we got this is interesting. We got Tim Burton's Dark Shadows, I think from twenty twelve. They didn't get a lot of. I don't think that's a good film. Good vibes. I haven't heard great things about it. Uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, which is weird timing, but all right, we'll take it. Uh, the twenty seventeen film The Desert Bride, the twenty sixteen video game adaptation of Ratchet and Clank, which I'm curious. I never saw it. I be- I beat the game, but I never mm. watched the movie. Um, but it, it's one of those games where that they play the film cutscenes in the. Oh, so it's like I've already odd. seen half the film. Yeah, I know they haven't done that in a long time. It's so weird. But they they did it four years ago, apparently. So I'm I'm actually keen to watch that because I love the game series. Um, so shock. This is shocking because okay. this is in cinemas right now, but it's also coming to stand this week. Uh, so blah, 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 I already lost my notes. Hearts and Bones. That's the Hugo Weaving film we've been seeing posters and trailers for. Well, that's, that's coming to stand. That's coming to stand this week. Oh my God! So, so you're you gonna try and sneak that one in. Yeah, I might as well. I mean, that, that was one that I would have happily gone to a cinema for, but if it's on Stan, I'm mm. just, just watch it at home. What are you talking about? So that film, of course, sees an unlikely friendship grow between a traumatized war photographer, and uh, I don't think that's meant to be Robert Kappa, <laughs> just for <laughs> heads up, uh, and a Sanonese refugee when they discover a link to their past. And again, I can't speak English. Uh, if you want to go to Hoyt's this way, because they're doing some classic screenings, they're doing a once-time screening of From Dusk Till Dawn, this Saturday the 25th. Sorry, Z, we're going to be busy watching Kissing Booth 2. Yes, we are. Night, so, uh, sorry, guys. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Alien. I'm pretty sure the original Alien. Ooh, so, that's singular, not a, not a plural. Is uh, playing from today through to Wednesday. The I want to say that's the 22nd. So, you can catch that tomorrow or Wednesday. And Jaws is playing for a full week from Thursday the 23rd. 
So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty. I see. I uh, see. Thing is, I've already. I mean, I've seen two of those three films, but mm-hmm. I would love to see Jaws in cinema. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um. All right. So now, what is actually new in cinemas? Because it's taken that yes. long to get to that part of the segment. A son sees a long buried secret threat in a couple's future as the son awaits a liver transplant. Is it about a son? I guess it is about a son. Mm. I think that's a foreign film as well. I don't think that's in English. So just okay. a heads up from that one. Uh, House of Cardin is a documentary about the life of Perry Cardin. I think that's how you say his name. P-I-E-R-R-E. Perry? Okay. Perry, something like that. Um, the Burnt Orange Hearsay follows a charismatic art critic hired to steal a rare painting from one of the most enigmatic. Uh, ign- mm-hmm. Is it igmatic or ignomatic? I would imagine it's uh, igmatic. There's an I in there. So fair enough. Painters of all time. Uh, and finally, I'll say this is the hit of the week. If we had a hit of the week, in a very Australian-orientated film, uh, Baby Teeth, which is the directorial debut from Australian director Shanning Murphy and stars Eliza Scanlon, who, of course, was in Little Women. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's also, I think, a Sydney actress. And uh, she plays a seriously ill teen who dates a small-time drug dealer. And I'm hearing some good things about this film yeah do we see the trailer we yes we for did Shirley. i think we did during yeah. shirley we definitely saw yeah. that trailer i'd be keen yeah be keen. No, looks ben good. mendo's in it bendo ben yeah ben mendo's in it the um oh, i forget her name but she's the lead in babadook she's in this film i think she plays her mum. Yeah. so i'm really keen just because it is it's not a local local film this is on the other side of australia but it's still pretty cool and apparently they were going to have like a full-on like cast and crew come to Luna uh, panel thing, but COVID has prevented that. Sadly, that would have been awesome. I could have met Ben Mendelssohn. That would have been so cool. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, but that is coming out this week, and uh, we won't be able to watch that this week, Zeke. No, I mean, we, I mean, we might, but we won't be yes. able to do it on the show. Unfortunately, that's not our film of the week next week on the show. No, we got to. Is it, Jake? Next week we got a director's corner again. Ooh, but who's the director going under the microscope? <laughs> under the microscope this time, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson for his, would you say, masterpiece? I would say masterpiece. There will be blood. Ladies and gentlemen, I've traveled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. Daniel Plainview is a ruthless oil prospector who goes on a relentless pursuit to become the most powerful oil tycoon. For this, he even resorts to manipulating and using his adopted son. Oh, naughty. I had that same logline too, by the way. So nice. We're on, we're on sync. Yeah, this this is like... This is probably my favourite film from last year. Was it last year yeah. I watched it? Or was it this year? No, it was this year. Oh. I watched it this year. Well, there you go. Already earlier this year. But I will definitely be watching it again. And finally... We get to get to Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes, yeah, so we is our 80th episode. Our what would would this be our 16th? 16th. 16th yes. director's corner. Paul Thomas Anderson, and I think the only film I could be wrong about this. The only film I've seen of his, I think, is actually The Master. Believe it or not. Well, um, you've like, got a little bit of homework to do. I got a little week. bit of homework. I know. I know. There's Boogie Nights, Phantom Fred, and of course this film from 2007. There will be blood, and I've heard. I've heard this film is like pretty much a masterpiece. So. From you, at least. Oh, yes, yes. This has got, uh, as, as recently as 20 seconds ago. Yes, exactly. So, uh, well, until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with There Will Be Blood.
Oh, that's great.